committee will come to order, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and get rolling, and um, I'm sure that Senator Cardin will be here in just a minute. USAID uh, uh, oversees $20 billion worth of aid to over 100 countries is a very important organization. Uh, Gail Smith, who's been nominated, uh, will have 18 months uh, to have an impact on this organization, and I will say that I think it's beneficial that she has served with the President's National Security Council, and therefore, uh, inside the main building, uh, she's someone that is trusted and not coming from the outside, and I know has been involved in these kinds of issues for a long, long time. Um, I do hope that uh, in your testimony, um, you'll talk about some of the priorities that we have had here. I think you know the committee passed out on a unanimous vote um, an effort to end modern slavery. I know it's something that you for years have been involved in and care about, but I hope you'll speak to that in your testimony. I think you also know that uh, there's a significant uh, effort underway to reform, reform the Food for Peace program. I know we talked about that some in our office and uh, uh, very important to, to many members. And I think you know that some of us share the belief that it's a travesty that we aren't serving uh, the millions of people that could be served by f reforming this program and, and not being held hostage to various groups that uh, benefit in ways that are not beneficial to the people that we're trying to serve. And then uh, thirdly, uh, Power Africa. There's a significant effort underway to make sure that the millions of people that don't have electricity even in their homes are able to do that and uh, in, in Africa in particular as I mentioned and in the past we've had some environmental uh, issues that have said that look it's more important we'd rather people not have any electricity in their homes uh, if it's going to produce one ounce of carbon uh, which is not exactly I think a policy or a value that most Americans adhere to and I think we've been able to get to a place that uh, achieves a balance between the environmental uh, concerns, which I understand are real, but also the concern for uh, human beings. And hopefully you will talk a little bit about that. I'm glad uh, that in your testimony you're going to refer to the tremendous need to, re to, to deal with the organizational uh, issues within the organization. Uh, this year, we hope to pass into law a State Department authorization. Uh, we're attempting to, we passed it out of committee unanimously uh, last week. We're attempting still to, to deal with that through NDAA. At some point, uh, we need to do the same with uh, USAID, but you internally will be able to do much. So uh, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for your willingness to serve. Again, I'm glad the uh, executive branch has nominated someone that has the kind of experience that you have. And when Senator Cardin uh, arrives, he may want to make some opening comments, but I think uh, uh, short of that, it'd probably be best for, unless one of the other committee members would like to address, um, if you'd go ahead and, and give your testimony, we'd appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for your comments on those important issues. Chairman Corker, Senators Menendez and Coons, I'm honored to, hear, to appear before you today as the nominee for Administrator of the United States Agency for International Development. It is truly a privilege for me to come before this committee, and I'm grateful to President Obama and Secretary Kerry for their trust and confidence. I would also like to thank my family, my mother who is watching from Columbus, Ohio, my brother Jay and sister-in-law Marianne, Ben and Sarah, and my father and sister who, though they may not be with us, will always be part of a family that is 
continued to provide me with support and encouragement. Since being nominated, I've had the opportunity to consult with several members of this committee, and I've appreciated your guidance and counsel to ensure that USAID remains the world's top development agency. In this time of great need and opportunity, USAID is working with a diverse array of partners to end extreme poverty, foster sustained and inclusive growth, and promote resilient democratic societies, both as an expression of our values and to transform them into peaceful, open, and flourishing partners of the United States. These are principles that have driven my own approach to international development across a 35-year career and principles that I will continue to uphold as administrator. If confirmed, it would be an honor and privilege to support the USAID mission alongside the more than 9,000 selfless men and women who serve the American people in some of the world's most challenging environments. Should I have the honor of being confirmed, I will pursue four priorities. First, I will focus the agency on programs that are achieving results and will be selective about initiating new commitments. I will work with Congress to institutionalize successful programs, including Feed the Future, Power Africa, and our efforts in maternal and child health. Second, I will provide the leadership, guidance, and tools needed to enable USAID staff in Washington and in the field to deliver against our most urgent priorities. This includes expanding the agency's work on democracy, rights, and governance. This also means expanding the agency's impact on human trafficking and on corruption, laying the groundwork for the success of a critically important strategy for Central America, and ensuring an equally important transition in Afghanistan. Third, if confirmed, I will act quickly to ensure that the agency maintains global leadership and agility in responding to increasingly complex humanitarian crises. When a natural disaster strikes or a humanitarian catastrophe is imminent, the agency should be among the first on the ground to help those in need. I will also work with this committee and other stakeholders to pursue meaningful food aid reform that will able, enable us, as you, sir, suggest, to reach more people more quickly and while maintaining our historic partnership with U.S. farmers and maritime. Fourth and perhaps most important, I will focus on further strengthening the institution. This will involve expanding the capacity of the agency to mobilize resources and engagement from other partners, to draw on science, technology, and innovation to address development challenges, and to increase investment in effective local solutions. Strengthening USAID also means tackling some of the management and operational challenges facing an agency that manages resources across more than 80 countries, often in complex environments. The agency must ensure that American taxpayer dollars are spent responsibly. It must identify successful programs, learn from prior mistakes, apply lessons learned, and share best practices, all in an open and transparent way. If progress is not being made, it must take corrective action or terminate projects. But strengthening USAID also means supporting and listening to its people, both here and overseas. These are men and women with knowledge, institutional memory, and invaluable insight. Indeed, they take on some of the most daunting tasks and aspirational missions one can imagine, all on behalf of our government and our country. It is my goal to give them the visibility, respect, and gratitude that they deserve. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, I thank you for considering my nomination, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you very much. We thank you for being here, and our distinguished ranking member. I don't know if you want to make some opening comments. Okay. Okay. Um, we've, uh, as we mentioned in the uh, 
and you've mentioned uh, we've been working on some human trafficking issues and certainly hope to do something to majorly affect modern-day slavery. Um, what approaches has USAID identified and tested that dem demonstrably contribute to reducing modern-day slavery? Thank you, Senator, for the question and also for your leadership uh, on this issue. I think USAID to date has done a lot to contribute to this in the areas of training uh, and rule of law, uh, information and education through the media, through NGOs, through new applications and new technologies, uh, through also responding to the victims of human trafficking. As you and I have discussed, I think that there's a foundation to build on and that we could actually do much more. If confirmed, I hope that we can expand on the work the agency's done to integrate uh, the fight against human trafficking into its programs around the world, to take full advantage of its presence in over 80 countries, to work on, importantly, the supply chains that USAID focuses on frequently as it is working on economic development, and which, as you know, are one of the places that human traffickers hide and exploit the most vulnerable. So if confirmed, this is something that I will make a priority. I believe the men and women of the agency believe it's a priority, and I very much look forward to working with you and others on the committee to explore what more we can do on this important agenda. We've, uh, as you know, been working on the Food for Peace program that I alluded to earlier. And um, the, in order to, this is always a, there's always a tug uh, between working on this and making sure that the United States agriculture community is, is, uh, is on board because obviously it matters relative to putting these reforms in place. There are a lot of people out there that are trying to allude to the fact if we create more flexibility that, that much of what we'll be buying will be buying from Russia and or China, which is not true. But I wonder uh, if you could expand on uh, that, that non-fact. Uh, Senator, I think on this issue, the, the facts show us a few things. One, Food for Peace has been an enormously valuable program uh, for many, many decades. And I think we want to preserve one of your supporters, I guess. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, if I may continue, Senator. Uh, Food for Peace has been a vital program. I I've spent a lot of time in the field and seen cases where uh, food aid made an important difference, but also cases where the greater flexibility to which you allude would be enormously value and valuable in reaching more people more quickly. It's my belief that in consultation with key partners, constituents, and supporters of that program over time, uh, it's my hope that we can find a way forward that would give USAID, in particular our people in the field, that flexibility. Uh, and ensure that at the same time we reflect and take into full account the very legitimate and important interests of our communities here. I'm optimistic that we can find a way forward. Uh, I'm very, very encouraged by the number of senators, yourself included, who have raised this during the consultations prior to this hearing. And so it is my intent, if confirmed, to work very closely with all of you to see if we can get this done. Your predecessor had worked on, a, uh, in essence, a $95 million transfer from food aid to the maritime industry in order to give ourselves the flexibility to feed more people. 
Um, and as bad as that sounds, um, I actually wish every American could be aware of that, but as bad as that sounds, uh, if there are a way to, f to phase that out over a period of time so that it got to zero, um, there may be way, a way of dealing with this. I just wonder if you might give some editorial comments regarding that. Senator, I'm a, a little bit hesitant to get uh, too specific on the particulars, but I do think in principle, and I followed very closely uh, Administrator Shah's work on this, that again, I think we can find ways to transition towards a program that is mutually beneficial to all involved. Uh, and I think considerable time has been given to thinking through how to do that within the agency, uh, even after Administrator Shah's departure, and I know on, among members of this committee. So I would be happy to sit down with you and with others to work through what the exact calibration might most appropriately be. Uh, and to consult, again, with all stakeholders so we can find a way to do this. On Power Africa, the administration has spent um, a great deal of time talking about renewables uh, mm -hmm. being sort of the base delivery system in Africa. Um, not unlike our own country, uh, there are places where renewables work decently well and there are places where they just don't. Um, does the administration support the development of fossil fuel energy as an integral and indispensable part of Power Africa, acknowledging that uh, at its base it's more important that we ensure that people have access to electricity than promoting goals that just don't, uh, don't agree with the particular area that we're in and, and actually are not feasible? Um, thank you, Senator, and again for your interest in Power Africa. Let me say a couple of things about uh, how we've structured this initiative and address your particular question. Uh, <clears throat> Power Africa in identifying priority transactions looks at a number of things. It looks at private sector demand, the potential for transformational projects, buy-in from the government, opportunities to exploit what are vast resources on the continent, project viability and overall impact. Now within that, uh, it is our belief that like any modern power sector, we need to rely on a broad array of generation sources, including wind, solar, hydropower, geothermal, and natural gas. On particular issues, except in the poorest countries, or where those plants are equipped with carbon capture and storage technology, the United States does not provide public financing for new coal-fired power plants pursuant to President Obama's Act Climate Action Plan of June 2013. Now, I want to be very clear that this is with the exception of in the poorest countries, many of which are on the African continent. So you're saying in, in those areas that are very poor that we're trying to deal with the people in, in most need that the Obama, the Obama administration would support uh, coal facilities to produce power? I, I think if these met the other criterion that, that we've designated as key for identifying projects, uh, according to the terms of the Climate Action Plan in those poorest countries, it, it would be uh, worthy of consideration. What, if you don't mind, what, what are some of those other criteria? Uh, as I said at the start, um, we try to look at need, where we're going to have transactions that will have impact, where we have investor interest, buy-in from the government, 
where our experts take a look and think that the project is likely viable and it can make a meaningful contribution to the ultimate goal of Power Africa to double access to electricity. So those would be the, the individual project criteria. So it, almost any of the countries we're dealing with would meet that criteria. I, most yeah. countries in Africa would meet that criteria. I think there are a few where it's a little bit difficult given yeah. the current conditions. And, and again, natural gas, there's all kinds of other ways of dealing with it. I'm not here to push one particular area, but obviously um, when you're living in a place with zero electricity, um, getting that is important and maybe some of these other criteria uh, need to move away. So I, I think you've said that you agree with that. Uh, I, I think it's critically important, and I think the other thing that Power Africa has done very well is an initiative called Beyond the Grid, which also uh, looks at people in some of the poorest areas of Africa and the most remote, and where new technologies and innovations can be deployed, microgrid, off-grid solutions. So that's another option also for reaching some of the most vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Mr. Chairman, first, thank you for scheduling this hearing. Uh, I think it's very important that we move forward in the nomination process and have a confirmed administrator for USAID. This is a critically important position, and I thank you for your cooperation in scheduling uh, this hearing. I want to thank Mrs. Smith for her willingness to continue to serve and her willingness to step forward with this very important position, and I want to thank your family because we know this is a joint sacrifice, and we thank you very much for that. Uh, we've been debating for three weeks on the floor of the House our national security budget in the Department of Defense. Uh, the role that we play in development assistance is equally important as part of our national security budget. So we consider the responsibility of this position to be one of the highest in, the, in our national security interests. So uh, we, we thank you again for stepping forward. And it was interesting, yesterday uh, under Chairman Gardner, we had a hearing on the East Asia and Pacific Subcommittee dealing with trade in, in the region, and uh, USAID was present talk about capacity building for trade, which is a critical part. If we're going to have successful opportunities there, countries need to have the capacity to deal with modern trade agreements, and USAID plays a very important role there. And I could keep on going on additional areas in which um, the responsibilities of the agency that you're being considered to lead um, plays. Um, under um, Administrator Shaw, there were new initiatives that many of us supported, including the Global Development Lab so that we can do more uh, with recognizing that our resources are limited by leveraging the, the help of, of private companies, of universities, of NGOs, all that's important. And I, I know that uh, you understand how critically important it is to prioritize. And you and I had conversations about that, and you mentioned that in your, in your preliminary statement. I, I want to... Uh, uh, talk a little bit about um, human rights. You're not going to be surprised to learn that because I think USAID can play a critically important role in um, advancing human rights. And, and I'm going to uh, talk about three priorities within that. First, uh, what efforts you believe we can uh, make to fight uh, corruption, what will be our anti-corruption strategies. Uh, when we look at stability globally, we find that countries that have not been able to deal with corruption are going to have a problem. Many believe that Ukraine revolution was not so much about Russia's influence, but more about people who wanted an honest government. We could go through Arab Spring was also a condemnation about governments that were corrupt and denied their people basic human rights. The second issue I want you to talk about is the role of women. 
We've also found that the way a country treats its women is a good indicator as to how well they will do. And I'm interested in your commitment and uh, ideas and vision as to how USAID can be more effective in advancing the rights of girls and women uh, globally as we look for greater stability and more reliable strategic partners. And the third issue, and I'll put all three on the table, is that this is World Refugee Day coming up. We're approaching 60 million people who are refugees today, one of the highest in modern history. Uh, when you look at the number of displaced people uh, around the world, we have a crisis. And uh, USAID needs to be actively engaged in what we're doing to deal with this humanitarian crisis. So I would like to hear your vision in regards to how we will advance anti-corruption measures as part of any program, any program within USAID, how you plan to make the uh, fairness towards women and girls the highest priority within your agency, and what are we doing to carry our responsibility in regards to the world refugee issue? Uh, thank you, Senator, and uh, I was thrilled when you raised in our meeting and as you raise right now the issue of corruption. I couldn't agree with you more uh, that it is perhaps the greatest enemy to development. The flip side of that, of course, is if we can tackle corruption in meaningful ways, it frees up significant resources for development. Uh, this is something that's a priority for the agency. It's something I would like us uh, to build on through some terrific things the agency's done over the years. The first is obviously transparency. Now that means transparency for us, but also encouraging and calling for greater transparency from our partners. As you know, it makes a huge difference when citizens can see where resources go. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second, and this is where I think we're seeing some significant, insufficient but significant momentum around the world, is on greater adherence to norms and standards. Uh, we have been able through multilateral organizations and other means to work with countries to sign up to the international laws, rules, obligations, and treaties that require norms and standards on corruption. Uh, the third, and I mentioned this to uh, you in our meeting, is something called the Open Government Partnership, which we were a founder of with several other countries uh, and has now grown to over 65 country members. Uh, what's quite interesting in that in that initiative is that that requires governments to join to publish their budgets. Publishing the budget makes a huge difference and breaks the ice, uh, if you will. I think we can build on that. Some countries have used it more effectively than others. A critical piece is that it entails a partnership between governments and civil society where civil society holds the government accountable for meeting the terms of its open government plan. We are also working on, and this is something we'd like to build out, on a partnership to deal with illicit finance. Uh, there are huge losses in capital to the developing world to illicit finance, so that is also a priority on the corruption side. Let me turn to your two other issues, if I may. Uh, I think USAID has made the rights and well-being of women and girls a priority for many, many years, and that's a priority I would very much like to build on. Whether it be uh, in global health, where it is a primary focus, in Feed the Future, where there's been a particular focus on women farmers, but also in the areas of rights, access, and critically training. I've traveled around the world and seen a lot of aid missions. I've seen a lot of leaders in civil society and government. I've been very proud to see that some of those people were trained by USAID, so I think the training mission is critical, and raising this issue at every opportunity. 
Finally, USAID is also participating uh, in the First Ladies Initiative called Let Girls Learn, which is about enabling more young women uh, to pursue their secondary education. Uh, World Refugee Day is daunting. The numbers are staggering. USAID works closely with partners in the State Department's Office of Population, Refugees, and Migration to work on this issue. It's my very strong view we've got to give a lot more attention to this so there's a better understanding of the consequences of conflict and violations of human rights. Uh, <clears throat> so again, this is something that I think in the agency's humanitarian mission, while my hope is to strengthen the agency's ability to stay a step ahead and respond, it's also to give much greater visibility to these issues. Let me just um, point out, and I, I appreciate not only your response, but the conversations that we've had on these subjects, and I, you give me uh, great confidence that the, uh, the, these all will be highest priorities in, in your agency. We need to be very strict about how we use our aid programs in countries that have challenges in dealing with corruption. We can make sure that the United States aid program is not contributing to a corrupt government or corrupt officials. And it's critically important that the administrator send a very clear message and have clear directions on how we are not going to participate in funding corruption within governments. I couldn't agree with you more, Senator, and if confirmed, you will have that. Thank you. Senator Gardner. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you for being here today. It's great to have a University of Colorado graduate uh, testifying before the panel, so welcome. Uh, and uh, just wanted to, to follow up with some of the conversations we had in my mm -hmm. office yesterday. We did have a hearing, Senator Cardin and I, with uh, Jason Foley, the Deputy Assistant uh, Administrator uh, for the agency. It was a good conversation. One of the things that we talked about is just where priorities are for the Asia-Pacific region. Mm -hmm. If you could just spend a little bit of time talking about that, uh, would appreciate it. Uh, yes, and I think... Uh the greater emphasis on Asia has been reflected in an increase in resources and personnel. As we discussed the other day, I think there's some other things that we can explore uh, in Asia. And I'm uh, interested in the reference to trade capacity building. That is one of them. I think that's something aid makes huge contributions to around the world. Whether is it, it is at the level of petty trade, local trade, national, regional, or in fact global trade. What I would like to do, if confirmed, and Senator, I would love to work with you and others on this, is do more in Asia of what aid has done very well in other parts of the world. Uh, and that is to help work on the constraints to private capital flows and increase private capital flows in support of development in Asia. That's number one. Uh, number two, work with uh, governments, again, to build on what aid's done to date, to build the capacity to run and sustain economies that are inclusive and deliver for their citizens. I think there's a lot that we can build out on. Some of it aided by resources, which are critically important, as you have pointed out. Some of it by taking the lessons the agencies learned in other uh, initiatives in other parts of the world and applying them more effectively there. So these are all things I think we can do. I'm quite interested, as I say, I've got less experience in Asia than in other parts of the world in consulting with you and with others, and obviously uh, our men and women in the agency here in Washington, but particularly those in the field, to see what more can be done. Thank you. And uh, last year, the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, produced uh, an assessment of USAID's uh, trade policy, uh, trade capacity building efforts, and concluded, and I'll quote the report, the U.S. Agency for International Development's 2003 Trade Capacity Building Strategy 
does not directly guide TCB activities and parts of the strategy no longer reflect the current TCB environment. If confirmed, uh, do you plan to update the TCB strategy? Yes. I think that's something, Senator, uh, I've worked with Aid on this in my current capacity, and I think Aid's learned a great deal. Uh, one of the things Aid has also, I, I think, done a phenomenal job over the last few years is, again, taking those lessons and then figuring out how to apply them. Uh, so I think that could be a very, very good exercise. Thank you, and we would love to uh, follow up with you on some of the ideas for doing just that. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Chairman, thank you. Senator, I noticed her staff was somewhat alarmed that she would answer a question off the cuff like that, so uh, thank you for doing that. It was a, quite a shock in the back. Senator, <laughs> Senator Menendez. If confirmed. That's the training of a University staff, of Colorado sir. graduate right there, you see. <laughs> Well, welcome. All my questions are off the cuff, so uh, no. Uh, first of all, uh, as someone who has been and is a huge supporter of USAID, uh, this is an incredibly important nomination. I congratulate you on being nominated. Um, and I appreciate having listened to you here at the hearing describe your priorities in the same way that you did in the private meeting that we had. And there are a lot of issues I have, some which I'll submit for the record, but the one that I want to pursue with you is the question of democracy governance and following on to Senator Cardin's questions on human rights. Um, I'm concerned that democracy and governance at AID uh, under uh, the president's tenure has been cut by 38%. Uh, and I think there are a lot of critical countries in the Middle East, North Africa, Latin America, uh, and Africa as a whole that have great needs that are woefully uh, underfunded. And part of our challenge is, yes, economic growth and uh, giving people greater opportunities, but in part that comes from more transparent democratic governance at the end of the day in countries which is a longer term proposition, but nonetheless incredibly important to stop because when in the Middle East you are facing uh, a future that is so dismal that you can have your mind converted to believe that dying is more glorifying than living, mm -hmm. uh, that's a real challenge. It's a challenge to our national security and interests. It's a challenge in the region. Uh, and unless we change the dynamics of what's happening in this countries over time, we will continuously be in a perpetual war. And so uh, I think it's important to be thinking about that in the long term, uh, but it's got to start in a more significant way. When you cut by 38% democracy and governance, it doesn't lead us in the right direction. So one is I'd like to get your sense of uh, how you'll try to stem the tide here. Two, I'd like to get a sense uh, from you that, uh, and you and I talked about this a little bit, uh, about uh, those who would say that uh, stability is more important than democracy and governance, that we're willing to look the other way on democracy and governance in order to have stability. Uh, and three, uh, do you believe that if a country uh, resists or attempts to thwart our democracy initiatives that we should simply end those programs in that country? Um, as we are seeing our challenges, for example, uh, in Pakistan, which several members of this committee and others of the Senate have written about NGOs mm -hmm. and the NDI and uh, the Republican Institute and Save the Children and others uh, having challenges in Pakistan. 
give me a, a sense on, on those issues. Um, thank you, Senator, and thank you both for the conversation we had the other day and your leadership on these issues. Um, I agree with you on the importance of resources, and I uh, believe you're aware that the President's request includes an increase in resources. But I think there's several other things we need to do. Uh, one is press others to also increase their resources. I think worldwide, if you look at investments in democracy, governance, and human rights, they're far below where they should be. And I think we're in agreement that this is essentially the backbone that is needed to ensure that the gains of development are sustained. I'd also like to look at the potential impact of having additional personnel on the ground, particularly democracy and governance officers, who often, with technical assistance, uh, not no assistance, but not necessarily large quantities of assistance, can play a hugely important role in training and using their convening power and other tools to build capacity. I think uh, AIDS record on training at the institutional level for civil society and NGOs is something we can build out. I know the agency is looking at how to uh, make greater use of regional platforms where more people and more organizations can be trained at once, and where also, and importantly, networks can be built. I also believe, sir, that a, a government that is credible in the eyes of its citizens is a government that delivers transparently and in ways that are meaningful and impact the lives of those citizens. So in the areas where aid has a very, very big presence in budget, in health, and in food security. Uh, the agency has worked on, and I think we can expand, also looking at governance in those sectors. Is it transparent? Are the budgets transparent? Are citizens able to avail themselves of the equivalent of a feedback loop to ensure that, again, those services are delivered, but in a way that is effective and transparent? Uh, I mentioned in response to Senator Cardin, the Open Government Partnership, uh, I have been quite impressed by what that has provided in terms of triggering, triggering a worldwide debate on what open governance means and what the obligations of governments are, while also exercising the muscles of some governments in transition with their civil societies to see what it's actually like to, to both cooperate and have civil society hold governments accountable. Uh, I believe as well aid is in a very good position, along with the State Department, often to play the role of broker or facilitator in dialogue between governments and civil society. I appreciate that you also made, sir, the point about this being a long-term proposition. I think the importance of our investing as a nation through USAID and by any other means in institution building is ultimately the key, mm -hmm. because it's when we've got strong, effective, and transparent institutions that I think we've got the greatest <clears throat> let me insurance. Make, let me make one observation before my time rubs on and one final question. Yeah. Uh, and in your answer, which I appreciate, uh, a lot of it was focused on governance, and I agree, that's an important issue. But I also think we have to decide whether AID is going to play a role in democracy building or not. Uh, and if it is, then it needs to be robust, and if it's not, then we need to think about how we move those resources to an entity that would. And which brings me to my final question. Um, I'm pleased to see that the administration has its traditional request for Cuba democracy programs of $20 million. Uh, and uh, I have clearly a very different view of US-Cuba uh, uh, policy uh, than the administration. But the one thing I would think that we can all come together on uh, is uh, programs that ultimately we pursue worldwide in other countries. Uh, 
that are undemocratic uh, and that we don't allow uh, the, the entities in those countries, whether they are autocratic dictatorships or other uh, authoritarian regimes, to just stop our programs at the end of the day because they don't like it. Otherwise, we would have given up a long time ago and we wouldn't have been successful in you know, Eastern Europe at the time of Vaclav Havel, Lech Walesa, and so many others. Uh, so the question is, as it relates to uh, Cuba democracy programs, uh, can you make a commitment that you'll prioritize programs that strengthen independence uh, civil society defends human rights, expands democratic space, and increase access to information inside of Cuba? Uh, Senator, yes, my, let me address a couple of things you've said. First, I believe that, agency, that the Agency for International Development is and must be an agency that is about supporting democratic institutions, expanding democracy and democratic practices. So I think that is and must remain a priority. With respect to Cuba, my understanding is aid is continuing programs in democracy, governance, human rights, and the free flow of information, and intends to do so, and that is certainly my intention if confirmed. I also believe you make a very important point with respect to situations where we find that governments reject closed space or take other measures uh, that constrain the evolution of democracy. I think we need to respond in those cases I think we may respond differently in different cases and must do what's effective. In some cases, we may not be supporting an actual government. We may be working primarily with local civil society or other groups. But I do think it's something we must respond to, and I will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yes, sir. Senator Kynes. Thank you, Chairman Corker, and um, welcome. Uh, Ms. Thank Smith, you. I uh, very much look forward uh, to your confirmation and to continuing to work with you in what I hope will be uh, your new role in leadership of USAID. Uh, and I um, appreciate and just want to uh, join with uh, the chairman in uh, questioning about food aid reform um, and then uh, talk a little bit more about effectiveness, monitoring, and economic development, if I could. Um, what role do you see for local and regional procurement um, and for readjusting some of the commodity and cargo preferences in the path forward towards uh, a reasonable and balanced reform to our food aid program? Uh, Senator, again, I, as you know, the president... Uh, in his budget made a proposal for food aid reform. So uh, I certainly believe that this is something we need to pursue. Um, I believe there are ways to do it. I think there's probably some sort of equation that will be the uh, ultimate solution. I'm a little bit hesitant to get exactly into the particulars because in my current role I have not been directly consulting with all the parties. Uh, but I do think we can and should find a balance that does a number of things. Enables the agency to respond more quickly and meet the needs of more people while maintaining those very important vital parts of a program that have served us well over many years. And also meet the needs and concerns of a broad range of constituencies. I think it's entirely possible. It's something I would make a priority. Great. Well, I look forward to working with you and uh, the chairman and other members on achieving that right balance uh, between a lot of different interests and concerns. Uh, there's a number of uh, initiatives um, that you may mm -hmm. well get to carry forward that are in no small part focused on economic development in a part of the world we've both spent a fair amount of time in, uh, whether Power Africa, Trade Africa, Feed the Future, Global Health Initiative. Um, I have a concern about Power Africa that it's largely been funded out of democracy and governance uh, programming funds. 
Uh, my hope is that we will get an authorization and then dedicated uh, sources of funding for the long term. But speak to those initiatives, if you would, in terms of which you think has been most successful in the last five years and which you would prioritize your focus on if confirmed as administrator to try and advance both economic development and mm -hmm. um, human development. Um, thank you, Senator, and thank you for also obviously your engagement uh, on Africa, but also your engagement on development. Uh, I believe Feed the Future is one of the most successful uh, initiatives we've seen in a long time. And I would point out that it was originally built as an initiative that started in Africa and has now expanded. There are Feed the Future countries outside of Africa that follow the same model, mm -hmm. which include countries having a comprehensive plan and are investing in that plan. Uh, I think this is something we can build on. I think it's something that has influenced the rest of the world. I think we have put food security and agricultural development back on the world's map, both through Feed the Future and support for that initiative. So I think anything we can do uh, to ensure that that not only achieves as much impact as possible uh, over the next 18 months, but also well beyond that. I sincerely hope that that's an initiative that will be continued, and I think it's worthy of it. Power Africa, and I would be delighted if confirmed to work with you on, on any resource issues, I think is, is something uh, that has shown us that a development model that aid and the other agencies and departments that are part of that initiative, because there are 12 altogether, have figured out. I think there's been a search for the silver bullet on energy or infrastructure. I don't believe there is one. But I do think that we've come up with something that allows us to identify viable projects, interested investors, and importantly, break down the constraints and build the capacity that's necessary to get a transaction done that not only yields greater access to electricity, but exercises the muscles of trade and investment and also demonstrates success. Because as you know very well, in Africa, risk perception is a very, very powerful thing. And I think over time, we're reducing it. I think it's also important that Power Africa is not overwhelmingly assistance driven. The team with aid at the lead, but again, all of those agencies and departments have done a phenomenal job of leveraging private sector capital, of working with other countries. Sweden has put a billion dollars behind this. The World Bank is engaged with us. So again, using our leadership and a good idea to get others involved has been key. I think global health, if, if I may, Senator, is and will remain a top priority. I certainly hope for this administration as it has for past administrations. Thank you. Across those few, if I might, I'm pleased to hear that you think uh, Feed the Future is scalable. Uh, I do. And can expand beyond just its early success in Africa and is worth uh, working together to sustain and grow. Um, second, I hope uh, within global health that uh, the development of an HIV vaccine, vaccine mm -hmm. will continue to be an area of priority and focus. Uh, although it has a long trajectory, um, it would have an enormous uh, cumulative impact. Um, I also just wanted to recognize um, that the value of partnering uh, with other development entities from around the world, but the private sector, uh, as demonstrated in your comments, uh, I see real value in um, the Millennium Challenge Corporation. I think uh, in a number of countries where I've had the opportunity to visit with its sites and when I've had the chance to meet with their leadership has um, turned me from a skeptic to a real advocate because I think that long-term model of having metrics and accountability and measurable results and of doing development in partnership uh, with other governments in a way that builds their capacity, I think is really promising. 
Let me, as a last question, just mention um, the Paul Simon Water for the World Act. Mm -hmm. uh, I joined a number of my colleagues, uh, Chairman Corker and Senator Durbin Flake, as a co-sponsor. Um, I think access to clean water and sanitation is one of those sort of foundational concerns mm -hmm. like access to electricity. Uh, just tell me, if you would, how USAID will seek to improve access to clean drinking water and sanitation in the developing world under your tenure if you become the administrator. Uh Senator, and let me just uh, echo your endorsement of MCC. Uh, I've enjoyed working with MCC and look forward to continuing in a new capacity if I'm confirmed. Um, on the issue of water and sanitation, that's really one of AID's strengths, whether it's in the development field or if you look at uh, emergency responses around the world. Uh, the agency is terrific at moving quickly or also on a long-term developmental footing. Uh, my understanding is the agency has been working on a much broader uh, strategy and look at this, identified priority countries where uh, our experts believe that they can have the greatest impact. It's something I'm very eager to dive into further, including in, uh, in support of the act. Uh, so I think it is something uh, that I would like to come back to you on. I can't claim to have exhaustive knowledge of it yet, uh, but as I say, it's something the agency does very well. Uh, and my understanding is that they've been working very hard on plans to look at how it can be expanded, but also how they can prioritize, again, in key countries where they can achieve the greatest impact. Well, if I could, uh, simply while Senator Perdue settles in, let me just say in closing um, that on my trip to Liberia in last December, I was really impressed with the DART team uh, and with how USAID was not just um, delivering disaster relief, humanitarian Absolutely. relief, but helping coordinate across international and private sector and volunteer organizations and how the, the incident management system uh, that really was in, in large part deployed through the DART team um, made a lasting and compounding difference uh, in how a complex, um, broad humanitarian crisis uh, was being dealt with. And I just wanted to commend the great work uh, that USAID has done and I believe will continue to do under your leadership in responding to complex humanitarian crises. Thank you for that, Senator. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Perdue. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ms. Smith, good to see you again. Good to see you. Well, thank you very much for your career service. And um, I, I find this role of USAID administrators as we talk to be tremendously important. And uh, I was very impressed with our conversation. I appreciate your uh, forthrightness and candor in our um, brief time together. I look forward to maintaining that open dialogue. I think there's nothing better in, in trying to establish our foreign policy around the world than what we do with our philanthropy. And uh, I know you share that as well. You said that in our, in our meeting. In our fiscal environment, obviously, we want to know that every dollar is, is uh, we're getting the, the most productive use out of that uh, that we can. And I know you share that as well. Uh, assuming you're confirmed, though, I'd love to have you talk about it. And I'm sorry I missed uh, earlier um, testimony. But I'd love to, for you to talk about your priorities in, in uh, the next 18 months, uh, if confirmed, and uh, give you a talk about are there private priority areas that you would uh, see yourself focusing on in, the, in the, particularly the first year? Uh, thank you, Senator, and thanks again for our, uh, our meeting. Um, yes, let me briefly go through uh, priorities. The first is achieving maximum impact in the areas where I think we can achieve the greatest scale, and we've talked a bit about some of those, uh, power, feed the future, and global health. The second is a set of urgent priorities. Uh, including expanding the agency's work on democracy, human rights, and governance, obviously a critical strategy in Central America, transition in Afghanistan. Uh, the third, uh, and Senator Coons just referred to this, I believe that USAID is the best in the world in responding to crises. 
uh, anywhere. They're flexible, they're adaptive, they're creative. I think we need to make sure that the teams are able to keep one step ahead in a world where we're unfortunately seeing too many crises. Uh, the last, but I think in many ways the most important, it's something you and I talked about, is the management and operations of the agency. We put huge expectations on the men and women who serve this agency to operate and manage huge amounts of money, often in very complex environments. They do an excellent job. I think they are committed to being fully responsible with taxpayer dollars. I think you will find with me that I will be totally and utterly frank with you about what goes well and what doesn't, but as I said to you in our private meeting, I will also come to you and ask for help uh, when we need to fix things that may not work so well. So on the operations and management, I think AID does a terrific job of doing assessments on the front end, looking at risk mitigation, evaluation and monitoring, and responding to oversight. I would like to work with the team, and it's a very dedicated team, to get out in front and ahead of some of these things to see if we can identify problems and challenges earlier, uh, but also, again, to be able to come to you and other members of this committee with some options we may develop, but also ask for your help and partnership in seeing if we can work together to make this agency as effective, as responsive, as responsible, and agile as it needs to be in the world we live in. I look forward to that. <clears throat> um, another thing I want to follow up on is, is to have you uh, speak to us a little bit about how do we get other partner nations around the world to, to help us in this uh, role? I know they do now, but um, you know, there are more needs than we can meet. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and as one country, we can't meet them all. Uh, I'm not looking at, uh, I'm, this is not a budget conversation. It's really more of a conversation philosophically from your role as the leading, I guess, contributor in this effort around the world. How would you use this position to help influence other countries to step up their uh, support of philanthropy um, yeah. the way we are? Uh, first of all, I'm not shy about asking for money. So, uh, but Senator, I think there are a couple things. And, and one great example of this has been the work on food security and agriculture, where uh, agencies and departments, including AID, including the State Department, uh, all of us rallied together to look at what the world was investing in agriculture, looking at what we could do, and then literally going country to country and saying, here's what we expect you to put on the table. And we challenged other countries to triple their investments. Uh, we were polite, we were evidence-based, and we were relentless. Ultimately, we mobilized $33 billion. Now, I think we can do that as a matter of practice. I think part of it is, again, challenging countries, looking at the evidence of where the investments are lacking, uh, figuring out what's appropriate, and pushing politely until we get there. I think our convening power helps us enormously, as does our success. Again, with Power Africa, the fact that Sweden announced last summer a billion dollars in behalf of this enterprise is because it's a good idea and it's working. So I think the power of our example works. The last thing I'd like to mention, Senator, and I think this is a trend we're seeing that we should build on. In a number of countries, we are seeing the important recognition by governments that something called domestic resource mobilization is key that it is critical that they invest more in health, in education, in agriculture, and they rely more on their own budgets. Now, some of that means that they need assistance in things like how to manage an effective tax administration. I think we need to capitalize on this trend, build on it where we've got countries that are stepping up and being real leaders on it, and then using that to challenge other countries to meet us at least part way. So I think that's another way that we can mobilize additional resources. 
sorry, if confirmed uh, as administrator, what would you do to ensure the priorities identified at the mission level are incorporated into to final budget submissions to Congress and, uh, and that a presidential initiatives, while important, don't distort necessarily. I know they're important and they need to be taken into consideration, but uh, they don't distort the type of assistance that you, as the administrator, determine to be um, of utmost importance. I guess what I'm looking for is the priorities and, um, you know, and, and making sure that, um, that we all agree on, on those priorities with regard to meeting the needs that, that USAID is, is charged to do. Thank you for that question. And, Senator, I will not fool you. This is not easy. Uh, there are huge demands. There are huge opportunities. And it's always ultimately uh, a question of trade-offs and prioritization. So I think the first thing is to look carefully at what the agency's priorities are, to lean in the direction of those places we're getting the greatest impact and meeting the greatest need. Again, that's not easy because it means letting some things go. I'm prepared to do that if that's what, again, the people in the agency and others agree with. But I think that's something we have to look at. Uh, the other is, I think, listening to the field. We send teams out in the field to run USAID missions. They've got eyes and ears on the ground. They've got a sense and the experience to know what's working and what isn't, where we can have real impact. So I think factoring uh, that in at the end of the day. And finally, I think we've got to continue to leverage and draw in other resources. Because as you said yourself, and I strongly agree, we can't do everything. I think something we can do more of is mobilize, mm. quite frankly, other people's resources to match our own. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for your testimony, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Senator. Senator Murphy. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, welcome. Look forward to working with you in your new position. You've done very well today. Thank you for taking the time to meet with all of us. Um, I'm glad to hear in response to a question from Senator Perdue that you're not shy about asking for money um, because I wanted to ask you a, a question about resources. Um, Interestingly, you skirted the, the issue a little bit in response to a question from Senator Menendez. Uh, you said resources are important, resources are important, but let me tell you all the ways that we can get around needing more resources. And it speaks to a fear that I at least have about the aid community. I mean, the Defense Department is never shy about coming up to <laughs> Capitol Hill and telling us when they don't have the resources <clears throat> to meet their operational demands. And they tell us routinely uh, the risk at which we are putting the nation if we don't fund the Department of Defense's budget to the, uh, uh, to the amount that meets their defined objectives overseas. I don't always feel the same way about the aid community, um, and often it's a, just a question of how we allocate scarce resources and how we draw on other partners, and all of that is important. Um, but do you... Does USAID have the resources today to meet its operational demands? Um, how, how much of this can continue to be just robbing Peter to pay Paul? Don't we have to have a pretty fundamental conversation about the growing number of crises across the world and the fact that uh, today we are spending 1.1% um, of our GDP on foreign aid when back in the 1950s, we were spending 3% of our GDP on foreign aid. Um, at some point, we've got to reckon with that number, right? Um, <clears throat> Senator, I welcome your comments, and I think absolutely that we do. I think if confirmed, I will also 
function as a member of the administration that is responsible for putting together an entire budget and take those factors into account. But I think there's, there's something key that you're, you're getting to. I think we are in a position now to make the case, certainly the American people. I have been encouraged by the conversations I've had with members of this committee that foreign aid is a worthy investment, that we get a return, that it impacts our influence and our standing around the world, that we can prevent more crises than those to which we have to respond. So I think it would be a wonderful thing to start making the But again, this is a worthy investment and one that we should consider over time increasing. I'd be delighted to work with you on that. I do also want to say, uh, and I certainly didn't attempt, wasn't attempting to skirt something, but I also believe that assistance is one of the tools we have, but it is only one. And that the agency, I think, has done a phenomenal job at a time when ideally it would have a much bigger budget of figuring out, again, how do you mobilize other people's resources? How do you work with the NGO community, which has made huge commitments of its own? And how do we, again, leverage what is now billions of dollars in private capital? So I think regardless of where the budget is, uh, that is something that we've got to focus on. You did mention the word operational, so I just want to make one quick plug of something that, if confirmed, uh, I hope that we can discuss. And that's AIDS operating budget, which is also one of the key elements of its ability to function around the world and is absolutely critical. I would want to rely more fulsomely on the experts in the agency to come back to you on that. But that is one of the, if you will, force multipliers to the effectiveness of the agency over time. One of the issues that we talked about, um, which I'd love to hear your thoughts on in uh, open committee, is the issue of flexibility. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I routinely hear from uh, mid-level and upper-level operators in the field is that um, partially by internal processes, partially by congressionally directed earmarks, that we compartmentalize funding on a geographical basis and then on an operational basis, um, a categorical basis, such that it's hard to move money as fast as the crises move our attention. Um, are there things that can be done internally uh, are there things that we need to work with you on to make sure that uh, you have the flexibility to move money as quickly as events on the ground demand it? Uh, Senator, that's an issue I would love to come back to you on if confirmed. I think it's vital. Uh, AID has a lot of people who are masters of figuring out how you move between the various pieces to move money as quickly as possible, but also uh, respond to requirements that the agency is obligated to and wishes to respond to, whether they come from the legislative or executive branches. Uh, I think if we could talk about how to provide the agency with greater flexibility, that would be of enormous value. I think part of that equation is also uh, working with you on how the agency can ensure that it will be fully responsible with that greater flexibility. I've known this agency for a long time. Uh, I've watched it go through a lot of permutations. I think it is better positioned today than at any time I've seen in 20 years to assume the responsibility for and act on that greater flexibility. And if that's a conversation that we could have, if I'm confirmed, I would be delighted. And then uh, lastly, I just wanted to get your thoughts about the way in which USAID can 
be built more tightly into the overall national security infrastructure. There's a really fascinating report that uh, one of your former colleagues, General Jim Jones, uh, headed. It had about a half dozen uh, formal generals and admirals, as well as a number of policy thinkers, uh, talking about the better ways to integrate both State Department resources and USAID resources into the strategic commands to uh, make sure that we have uh, a more coherent conversation happening out in the field uh, so that we can have a coordinated response to crises. Um, I, I think about you know the movement of an organization like uh, Al-Shabaab out of Somalia into Kenya, if we had been able to all think about the ways ahead of time to try to buttress those uh, sections of Kenya which were vulnerable to the movement of al-Shabaab, we might have been able to prevent a little bit more of the seepage that ended up happening. Um, is there some opportunities to try to connect um, strategic commands and USAID? Uh, they're some of your biggest boosters, mm -hmm. uh, frankly, and uh, there seems to be a need to maybe have a little bit more coherence in the field. No, I, I think that's a very good point, and the Department of Defense has been a big champion of AID, largely for the reasons you suggest, is that AID is the agency best position uh, to pursue the prevention uh, that is needed so we have fewer crises. I think the agency and the department have a very good relationship. It is one that's uh, expanded, including because of joint responses in humanitarian crises. I know that on the Sahel and other parts of the world, the two agencies have together looked at roles and responsibilities, but also how to think about what might be done on the side of prevention. And I think that's something I'm very interested in pursuing further. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Markey. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, very much. Can you give us the one minute on geothermal in Ethiopia? Sure. Uh, thank you, Senator. Uh, geothermal in Ethiopia, huge potential. All along the Rift Valley, as you and I discussed, there is the potential uh, to provide electricity for a huge chunk of the continent. It's not easy to exploit, uh, but we are finding that there's increased interest. Power Africa is behind transactions in Kenya and in Ethiopia uh, that we hope to see significant progress on, including in the coming weeks. I think it is something uh, that could be a profound game changer for the region. Again, I don't want to so we would We were told by the president of Liberia, a country of six and a half million people, that her whole country only has 40 megawatts exactly. of electricity. What can one geothermal facility in Ethiopia do? You could go from 500 to 1,000 megawatts. 1,000 megawatts Potentially. In there Ethiopia. are lots of megawatts in that geothermal <laughs> rift there along the valley, sir. Right. So ultimately, we're looking at something that's potentially 25 times bigger, one plant, one facility, than all of the electricity in Liberia today. Well, we're looking at some serious impact. Uh, and, and again, I, I think we've got to be mindful of the challenges in exploitation of geothermal. But I think we're seeing increasing evidence of its potential, of the interest of investors, uh, and of the viability of some of these projects. We still have to focus on the Liberias that do not have that potential and have the kind of acute shortages you talk about, particularly at a time when after having survived decades of war and now an Ebola epidemic, uh, they are able fortunately to focus again with our Power Africa team on turning the lights on there. Thank you. Yeah, the numbers are just so exponentially larger. Mm -hmm. 
uh, that they just match up with the cell phone wireless revolution mm -hmm. in Africa. I mean, it's almost like a perfect analogy of how we're not talking about a doubling or a tripling. You talk about something with one facility in Ethiopia that's uh, 50 times bigger than uh, everything that's going on in Liberia. So that's something that we just, I think, continue to have to focus on and understand that it's transformational when a, mm -hmm. when a, when a, a, a place has all the telecommunications they need and all of the electricity they need, capitalism, commercial activity is going to flourish and some of the education of the kids, the health of the kids, uh, all the way down the line. Um, let's talk about health systems um, mm -hmm. post-Liberia. Yeah. Um, um, what can USAID do, AID do to make sure that there's a better infrastructure in place on an ongoing basis in these countries so that they can be the front line and effective in making sure that these diseases just don't spike out of control? That's a really important question, Senator, and thank you for asking it. It's something that Senator Coons mentioned, the, the DART team uh, deployed, and even from the initial deployment of that disaster assistance response team, looking at the health systems has, has been a priority. Building on some not insignificant process progress made over the years, but obviously insufficient uh, given the impact that the Ebola epidemic has had. I think there are several things. One is transferring some of the capabilities that have been developed in Liberia out of misfortune, but making sure those are retained. There are now people who are trained as lab technicians uh, to track the data on an epidemic uh, to do some of the treatment and prevention. Uh, the second is aid is part of something called the Global Health Security Agenda, which was launched by the President with an eye to doing two things, both getting countries to adhere to the norms and standards that are required to manage global health threats, but also, and importantly, build the capacity of countries like Liberia to be able to prevent, detect, and respond to global health threats. Lastly, I think for AID, I think for the Office of the Global AIDS Coordinator, for CDC, for all the U.S. government agencies that work in health, there have been some important lessons uh, I think about the importance of health system strengthening. This has been a priority since the beginning of the administration. I will admit it hasn't been the easiest thing to market. Health system strengthening really didn't capture a lot of uh, imagination, I think, until we saw the Ebola epidemic. Uh, but the teams are working now on how we can do as much as possible. Can you, take, can you take tuberculosis as yes. an example? Yes. And talk about what AID can do in terms of uh, detection Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and prevention of tuberculosis mm -hmm. uh, in the countries that you have an ability to influence. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, I, I think many of these are the same systems. And what is needed, and I, I think what aid does very well across the board on health, is how do you have the education in place, train the people uh, who you need on the ground, um, <clears throat> provide the education and then put in the extra training and capabilities that are needed for diagnostics, for treatment, in TB for sustaining treatment because one of the biggest challenges there is that if people fall off their treatment, you've got a recurrence or even worse. So I think, again, it all comes back to health systems, to training, uh, and to uh, putting in place those things that enable... Uh, local communities to play a central role. And one last thing on tuberculosis, if I may. It also means mobilizing other countries to do more. Because if you look at where the evidence of tuberculosis is today, 
Much of it is in the world's poorest countries. A great deal of it is in the BRICS. And so I think the other piece is going back and pressing other countries to do more. And, uh, and finally, uh, USAID has partnered with MIT mm -hmm. in working on a comprehensive initiative on technology evaluation uh, in order to ensure that we're using the smartest technologies uh, effectively in order to aid in development in these countries. Can you talk a little bit about that and how we can continue to advance that uh, effort to maximize working smarter, not harder, yeah. to, uh, to extract all of the economic opportunities in these countries? Uh, Senator, I'm not familiar with that particular project. I am familiar with the extraordinary work that's been done by my predecessor, who is, uh, if I'm confirmed, my predecessor. Uh, you have my vote. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, but who's a real expert in, in science and technology and did a great deal to create, as you know, the Global Development Lab. Uh, I, I think the partnerships with the universities are key. Those are already yielding significant results. I think using how to use data more effectively, both in running the organization, but also in terms of tracking solutions and what's working and what's not. Uh, the grand challenges that aid has run have been some of their greatest successes. My personal favorite uh, is one that was to develop a uh, set of protective gear for people who are working in environments like Ebola epidemics, uh, where they can work for longer periods than 45 minutes. This was the Johns Hopkins and a wedding dressmaker in Maryland that came up with a solution on that. Uh, I think there's enormous potential uh, out of what has been done to bring science, technology, and innovation into aid. I think the challenge is to look at how we can get some of these things to scale. I think your whole life has prepared you to sit in that chair, and, um, and I think our country and the world is lucky to have you uh, willing to take on this job. So thank you so much. Thank you, Senator. I'm sure Senator Markey knows that his whole life has prepared him to sit in this chair. <laughs> Um, so, uh, with that, uh, Senator Cardin, I know, has some additional questions. Uh, if I could uh, return to a point I raised earlier from the hearing we had yesterday uh, in the East Asia Pacific Committee, dealing with the ca capacity building and using USAID programs um, as related to capacity building for trade, I, I want to talk a little bit first specifically about labor capacity mm -hmm. issues and how you see the tools you have available being used and maintaining and expanding those opportunities. Uh, if we move forward, and I hope we do, with agreement with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, there are several countries there that have significant challenges as it relates to the capacity to comply with a quality trade agreement such as TPP, particularly as it relates to labor issues. Mm -hmm. How do you uh, see uh, your aggressiveness in using the labor capacity tools that are available to help us meet these needs? Um, Senator, this is something I've, I've talked to AID about. NAID's got a long history of working with labor organizations to build up to both norms and standards and build capacity. I think there's every intention of continuing those programs. Uh, if it's possible to expand those, I think that's worth looking at. Uh, but this is something I think the agency's got a long track record of working on around the world. And I certainly think in the Asia Pacific, excuse me, in the Asia Pacific, that is some, uh, a place where if confirmed, we would certainly want to continue to do that. I'd be happy to talk to you further and get your thoughts and more details on any specific ideas you may have. 
Well, I appreciate your commitment on this. I think it's going to require the agency's initiatives in some of these areas, and I look forward to working with you in that That'd regard. Be great. There's been some conversation about the use of the Global Development Lab. I mentioned it, and I know Senator Coons mentioned it. Do you have um, thoughts as to how that program could be um, uh, strengthened so that we can uh, leverage uh, the uh, program for stronger involvement from the private sector in helping uh, achieve the missions of uh, USAID? Sure. I, I think the partnerships that the Global Development Lab has already built are part of what's going to anchor it and allow it to succeed. One of those is, again, with universities around the country. Also with the private sector, I think there is some real potential in looking at how we can take some of these innovations to scale. There is the capacity within aid to provide some initial small capital to entrepreneurs, for example, or to ideas that seem to be viable enough to work. I think part of the challenge will be then getting with the private sector to figure out how we can take some of these things to market. And that's something I would very much like to do. I will rely on AIDS experts, if confirmed, to determine what the best examples might be. But I genuinely believe that that kind of lab, that kind of innovation, those kind of entrepreneurs, or the ideas that have come out of grand challenges, if we use our convening power, the relationships that the Global Development Lab already has, to work with the private sector to take these solutions to market, we will not only innovate, but I think do something the lab was built for, and that's to get to scale. Uh, I think it's excellent. I would also urge you to put a bigger spotlight on what you're doing. I, I think this is a story that's not well understood yet, mm -hmm. particularly in our country. Right. So I think you should, this, this is a success, and you should really put a, put a spotlight on it. Uh, one last point. Uh, uh, Senator Corker and I have had many conversations about moving the president's nominees through our committee in, in an expedited way, and of course we have, an, not an expedited, but in a, an efficient way. And uh, today's hearing is an indication of, of us moving forward on nominations. It's my understanding that there are several senior positions uh, in the uh, uh, AID that, that require Senate confirmations where nominations have not been yet submitted to the United States Senate including the, I guess, the top position in Africa and some others. Uh, if you are confirmed, can we have your commitment that you will do everything you can to make sure that we get these appointments in a timely way? It's frustrating for many of us who are pushing to say we need confirmed positions when the administration hasn't submitted to us their nominees. Yes, I will happily make you that commitment, sir. Thank you. I'm glad to see that he's pushing in two directions, not just one. Senator Perdue. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I do have one last question. Ms. Smith, with your operational background, I just I can't resist this, and I ran out of time earlier, but Senator Murphy reminded me uh, just how important it is that we set priorities. We mentioned that we're only spending about 1% of our budget uh, um, and, and as opposed to maybe 3% uh, in, in the past. I want to look at that. I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable about the 3%, but... I, I do look at the last six years where we've spent $21 trillion on our government. We borrowed $8 trillion of that. That means that of the $20, million, $20 billion, which I believe is in 15's budget for USAID, and that's in, put that in perspective, uh, the State Department is $51 billion, so this is 20 of the 51. Uh, that means that we borrowed $8 billion in order to meet needs around the world. And this goes back to my question about how do we get other players to step up and how can we leverage what we are doing 
But the reality is right now we're borrowing 40% of what we're using to support philanthropy around the world. I don't know any other country in history has ever done that. And so the question that I have that comes behind that is operationally, how do you look at the priorities? Right now, five uh, efforts, as I understand it, and, and I'd love to be corrected, but I think this is right, five programs represent 90% of that $20 billion. Um, health, humanitarian needs, health is the third. Humanitarian needs is about 20%. Democracy and governance is 13%. Um, so those three things have, are about two-thirds of the money we're spending, or about $13 trillion. Economic growth and agriculture are only about 20%, a little more than 20, about 23%. So the question is, uh, you, you don't have to answer today because you haven't had a chance to, to get into budget and all that, but one of the things I would look forward to is a, um, an active conversation about what you see the allocation needing to be relative mm -hmm. to the needs that are out there, the objectives and the mission of USAID, given that 40% of what we're funding is borrowed. I mean, I, that puts a perspective on it, I think, that makes, um, it just puts every dollar in play relative to how important it is that we make every dollar count. So would you respond to that, please? Uh, I, I will. I, I also took note of your saying that you'd be happy to talk to me about this later when I've had a chance to review the budget in great sure. detail. Uh, <laughs> Look, I, I think this issue of prioritization is key. And, and again, I don't want to understate how difficult it is. It's got a lot of important initiatives and programs. What I would really like to do is sit down with the men and women who run these programs, both here in Washington and in the field, get their honest assessment of what they think is the most effective, uh, what they think should be prioritized, how they think about that. Uh, be able to work that through with the agencies, with others in the administration who have views on this, and come back to you and talk it through. That's acceptable. Thank you. Thank you. If there are no other questions, uh, do you have any, Senator Markey, or you good? Um, I just have a couple, and we'll close. Sure. Again, thank you for your testimony and your willingness to serve in this capacity. I, I was uh, interested in your exchange with Senator Markey and just the order of magnitude change that can take place when we have power production of that magnitude in a country with so little. And we have so many countries in Africa that have that kind of situation. Sometimes administrations uh, on both sides of the aisle try to tout the amount of output that is created. But as you know, and we talked about this in the office, uh, what's important is to ensure you have a distribution system mm -hmm. and you have that power and you have a cost recovery mechanism or a tariff system in place so that it can be sustained for the long haul and will be there. So many of us have seen, I know you've seen projects that were completed, but they serve no purpose. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think there are a couple issues there, Senator, and thank you for the question. Uh, one of the things that Power Africa also focuses on is some of the policy issues, uh, which are key to sustainability. Uh, so I think that's vital. I also think that something that, uh, if confirmed, we can do more of and a better job of is looking at that sustainability up front uh, and making sure that the policies are in place, figuring out things like recurrent expenditures that sometimes are not factored in, are factored in, so that we know uh, that we're not investing in something that 5, 10, 15 years later uh, is going to prove to be dormant or ineffective. So I think that's critically important. It's something that's a priority of mine. With respect to Power Africa in particular, one of the great things about 
having not only USAID but all these other departments and agencies involved is it's a real opportunity to get to the policy issues that are necessary alongside those very exciting investments to make sure that these are sustainable over time, deliver, and that you've got all of the other cost recovery and pieces that you mentioned. While you were at the NSC, you praised the administration's uh, transparency efforts. And um, we noticed that uh, with the foreign assistance website, we still are not get, getting full reporting from all federal agencies mm -hmm. relative to that. And while I'm sure my fr our friends in China have access to that data, I wonder if you would, <laughs> if you would uh, commit to going ahead and bringing that up uh, to a full-scale basis and make sure that all of that reporting is taking place. Uh, sure, Senator, I will continue to work on that. And I will confess to you that uh, several colleagues and I made a priority of uh, really looking at foreign aid transparency. I think in all honesty, uh, we were not fully aware of what we were getting into. When you look at the complexity of the full range of departments and agencies that provide foreign aid in their different systems and how one translates all of that information, that's a work in progress. It's something I will certainly lend my support to and, and continue to work on. Uh, and I appreciate your support for it because I think it's absolutely vital. Well, thank you for being here today. I, I appreciate the time you took with committee members in advance. Um, without objection, if the record could remain open until close of business Friday, and if you would respond to those questions, uh, yes, we would appreciate it. And without further ado, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you so much, Senator.